0: Welcome to Sales Tech Stars, Sales Star Podcast. This is where we feature news, tips, and insights on B2B sales. Happy to have you here. Brandon Brown, CEO and co-founder at Grin, a CRM for Influencer Marketing, is on a mission to reinvent how teams win consumers with creative influencer marketing tactics and this obviously is something that not a lot of teams focus on or focus a lot of their efforts on at least in B2B so it's really good to have you here Brandon and we definitely appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts with us today it's a challenging time for everyone and we think you know a light conversation on influencer marketing something that a lot of people or a lot of B2B marketing teams don't necessarily look at could be something that's different different for them to listen to on over here. So why don't we begin by putting the spotlight on you. Tell us a little bit about yourself first and your journey so far.
1: Yeah, of course. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me. And I agree. Interesting times we're in. Looking forward to sharing some of my thoughts and insights around influencer marketing. So for those who uh, I haven't met, which is probably most of the people listening in, my name is Brandon Brown. I'm the co-founder and CEO of a software company called Grin. Grin is a software solution for brands who do influencer marketing. So a little bit about my background and how I got into this space. My background is really in action sports and consumer marketing. Um, I do B2B marketing now at my current company, but my background is really in consumer marketing. And I built the whole first part of my career at Red Bull North America, which is in Los Angeles here in the United States. I built one of the largest opinion leader programs in the world for the Red Bull brand in LA and Orange County and this is a this was well before Instagram and social influencers were a big thing uh, but through that process I grew to really intimately understand how do you drive outcome through people? Red Bull called them opinion leaders, but these are just people like athletes, musicians, artists, journalists, people that can endorse your product and brand to their audience in an authentic and, and trusted way. And so in that whole world which is really, you know, youth culture, lifestyle, marketing, sports and athlete marketing. The most important thing is being true to whatever the culture or the sport is that you're actually representing and working with. If you're doing things that don't actually support the sport or the scene, then you're going to get forced out by the consumer. And more importantly, the gatekeepers who really kind of, you know, drive the, the opinion within those scenes. And so our thesis when moving into influencer marketing was really, if this idea is that trust and authenticity are the goal, then brands should take a relationship-based approach to influencer marketing versus a transactional approach. Because when you have a relationship between brand and influencer, that enables real belief in the product and brand and in turn inspires honest endorsement. So that's our positioning and our product today, and it's been really well received. I think you know lots of brands who are in this space uh, believe what we believe and the business is doing well on the back of that focus and positioning
0: absolutely. And we're definitely going to dive into this topic more deeply in the next couple of questions. But before that, given what the world is currently at least most countries are going through given the current ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, we'd first like to talk about uh, how a typical day at work has changed for you and the team at Grin. So I think before we started uh, started this episode, you did mention that there were a couple of struggles initially. And I think uh, while especially for teams who had to completely move, To a remote format, and they weren't, this wasn't part of their process. There are a lot of tech and SaaS companies who are used to this entire distributed model and uh, a work from home model, but not everyone is. So, what were some of the challenges you faced, and how has the pandemic basically changed a typical day at work for you all now?
1: Well, yeah. So, like everybody, you know, we were forced to react very fast with regards to the shelter in place and kind of work from home transition. Luckily, our business was impacted in a very short-term way, but now is actually growing really fast because of our focus on social and e-commerce. Um, so the core business is strong, but the, the shift into working from home was challenging. You know, We've got our whole team, around 60 folks right now, all in the same office here in California. And within a matter of 36 hours, once the management team had decided, hey, we need to move to working from home to try and get ahead of this, we were able to successfully transition everybody into working from home some of the things that we did for the team is we bought every we gave everybody a budget to to buy equipment that they needed so if they needed desks or monitors or people wanted standing desks and things that could make them more active at home um so we, we provided some incentives for these things but we were actually able to make the transition pretty smoothly the main reason being that we we have a pretty disciplined operating cadence for the company so, you know, we we do annual planning, quarterly planning, and then we run the same meeting format across all the departments, which we call a, basically a level 10 meeting, where we're looking at scorecard measurables, quarterly goals, and everybody runs meetings the same way. So it was a little bumpy with shifting to doing all of that digital. But I think because we have such a good operating system for the company and, you know, a very clear value set, clear vision, clear core purpose clear processes, clear cadence in how we meet and execute, we've been able to take it in stride and and do really well. And I think, you know, had we not had a documented and strong operating system for the company, I think just shifting to remote without having the in-person interaction without a strong process, it would have been really challenging, but luckily we've, we've been able to make that transition really well.
0: That's a very interesting insight for especially for teams who are probably still struggling with uh, smoothing their everyday processes or at least their collaboration, you know, how to do it better, how to create a more seamless experience. And I'm sure this, is, this kind of opinion is going to help them or this kind of an experience as to what they should do. Basically have your fundamentals in place and I think everything works out no matter where you're working from. So obviously the last few weeks have been challenging for most business leaders, especially more so for marketing and sales teams. And at a time such as this, you know capitalizing on other efforts a couple more creative tactics and basically trying to break through the noise without following what everyone else is doing is probably the need of the hour so how can b2b teams especially capitalize on influencer marketing tactics during this time because that's not usually something that's part of their overall strategy at least in most cases at least in tech
1: yeah so a couple ways so influencer marketing was born on the consumer marketing side, specifically within kind of the brand sphere. So when you think about tech B2B, like what's really applicable? Well, I think there's actually a lot that's applicable, although that's not the genesis of where influencer marketing emerged. I would think about it within, in terms of like a couple kind of key pillars. The first would be, brands are going to be served well, whether you're b 2 B2B or a consumer brand, by going to where the attention is and becoming a relevant part of the conversation where that attention is. So we all know that legacy mediums like television and traditional cable are dying, and those are being replaced by mobile social. And in mobile social, the distribution isn't handled by you know traditional TV and cable anymore. It's handled by TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook. And so I think brands, especially when, when consumers are at home, they're spending a lot of time online, a lot of time on their devices. And the new way that media is consumed, consumption habits happen on social instead of traditional. So I think the first thing is like there is going to be value by going to where people are already congregating and figuring out how you can be a relevant part of that conversation. The second thing I would think about is uh, when you look at your marketing mix and the types of activities that you invest into. There are certain activities that are about reach and frequency. So they're about getting in front of as many prospects, customers or consumers as possible, trying to do that in a cost efficient way To really drive awareness and and drive reach and frequency of your brand and your message then there are also certain tactics and i would argue that influencer marketing falls into this this dimension where it's really about building trust with the customers and trust with the prospects these marketing activities are things like influencer marketing athlete marketing customer advocacy tastemaker endorsement uh, product placement things like this where the message is actually being delivered to the prospect on behalf of a trusted messenger that they already follow. Um, and so and when you're thinking about your investments, right, like we all know that a trusted brand actually drives stronger ROI across the marketing mix because they have a conversion rate improvement, CAC reduction because of something in marketing called the halo effect where uh, trusted brands uh, it see, see kind of net improvements across all their spends. So when you're thinking about influencer marketing, there's really like two pieces. There's like, you want to be part of the conversation where customers are already hanging out and you want to be trusted in their eyes. And so I think influencer marketing is a really strong way to do that, assuming you do it right and you don't just hire people who don't care about what you're doing and don't actually believe in your brand or product because that that's obviously can backfire. And I would say that's, that's actually like 80% of what most companies do. They don't understand this trust idea. Um, So you have to do it the right way. And when you do it the right way, it can be super powerful. So I would urge people to look into it
0: absolutely so in most cases marketing and sales teams will always especially today have a multi channel approach and this is all so that they can uh, portray the same message across multiple channels to the same audience and create that kind of brand recognition at down the line so what tips would you especially share with tech marketers here especially when they're probably more used to planning an entire uh, you know like an account-based marketing campaign and integrating it with you know a whole Email outreach and a little bit of social activity. And here now we're talking about a wholesome influencer campaign. So, integrating this into something, into these other elements that they are already used to executing, what kind of mistakes do you think people should be a little more careful and what should they keep in mind when they are planning this?
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest mistakes are when people think short term, they think uh, in, in terms that are too transactional and they try to look at the ROI in isolation of the channel. So, uh, so I, I can, I can kind of, I'll start with the last one and back into the other two. So if influencer marketing, yeah, is a distribution channel because there's an audience that falls the influencer, but it also adds there, there's other ways that smart brands think about the value one is traffic, conversions, and and tracked revenue or net new prospects and leads, right? So that is one big piece of value. But there's also this other piece of value that is this content production piece that a lot of people overlook. So you're getting trusted content that speaks to your product's benefits from a trusted messenger that you can then reuse throughout the marketing mix. And then the third piece is really about something that's a well-known concept in psychology and marketing called the halo effect and so i touched on this earlier but the idea is that brands who make deposits and influencer marketing when it's done in an authentic way is a deposit into brand whereas traditional advertising is a withdrawal from brand in the eyes of the consumer brands who make more deposits via tactics that drive trust, like influencers, they have a more efficient marketing spend across the whole mix. And so this is, I think, like the big misunderstood concept. So I would urge people when they're thinking about influencer marketing to not look at the ROI just in terms of how much revenue did these influencers drive. There's actually three things. There's revenue, content, and this idea of the halo effect. So then the question is like, how do you create a stronger halo effect around your brand? And this feeds into the next two points where You really want to think long term and you don't want it to be transactional. So when you go to like a marketplace or you work through some middleman who has an incentive to find any influencer who will will take the job, the endorsement ends up coming off as fake to the consumer. The consumer knows it's bullshit. Excuse my language, Hopefully, I can use that word. But they know this person doesn't actually believe in this product and they can just intuitively smell it, right? And so what brands should do is instead of taking a transactional approach, they should seek to build a relationship with the influencer introduce their product and company to them in a way that's authentic and trustworthy if they don't already believe, inspire them to believe, and then collaborate with them long-term on creating really amazing content around their objectives and their brand. And when that's done in a sustained fashion over a long period of time, those brands are just growing much faster than others. So that's, that's, that's how I would think about kind of the multi-channel approach is really in those three buckets and how influencer marketing fits into the mix
0: absolutely so obviously uh, we, we live in a time and we market and sell at a time when you know metrics and data are the driving force that's how you know what you want to do more of and what you need to do less of and where you need to fix your whole campaign so now when it comes to influencer, cam- uh, influencer marketing campaigns especially you did share a couple of points on what metrics people um, marketers should keep an eye on but uh, when it comes to a long-term strategy now and also when it comes to conversions okay so you did mention that looking just at the ROI is not really the only thing to focus on. So this question is pretty, it's like a trick question. So we're talking about a long-term successful influencer campaign and not having to measure it on the basis of the brand popularity that was achieved via an influencer campaign or an influencer effort. But how would a marketer essentially assess the long-term effect of a campaign just by understanding the way, how it basically fueled actual conversions in the market and what can they be doing more of to basically make this a successful long-term effort in the whole B2B mix?
1: Yep. So first and foremost, you need to understand that is today, and there's a bunch of companies that are working on this, Google, all sorts of companies. We all know attribution is a big problem, like right cross-device attribution. And so there is no way to track all of the direct attributed conversions through influencer marketing. At best, you can get to like maybe 40 or 50%. And that's with link tracking, discount codes, like strong UTMs, like on the server side, pixels, all of that, but it's just not that type of channel. So if you think about the way that people browse social, like even you, like we're on a call right now, but let's say you go home tonight and you're, you're on LinkedIn and you're just cruising around. Someone posts something on LinkedIn, that's like, oh, I was listening to this podcast, it's this really amazing podcast and I love the host and you should really check it out. People don't always click that link and then go through and check out the podcast or make the purchase or enter their email. The way that the consumer or the prospect recalls information is it, is, it, is they see it and then oftentimes they go type it into a web browser, they search it in Google, these types of things. So you can you, we have the best revenue attribution and conversion attribution in influencer marketing in our product. It's the best, but it still is not perfect. So that that would be the first thing is I wouldn't I wouldn't just think about it in terms of the direct revenue ROI. And I would really think about this idea around when I have a really strong influencer program going, not just two, three, four, five people, but when I've got, let's say, 20 like macro, really large influencers, and then 250 like middle, and then maybe 500 micro influencers, that's a powerful program right there. I would start looking at what is the correlation across my spending mix to basically conversion rate improvement and CAC reduction, and also lifetime value increase on the back end. And what we find is that the most sophisticated brands who are growing the fastest the challenger brands, at least in the consumer marketing space, who are growing the fastest is that they understand that a really strong influencer program makes their whole spend more performant. And so they're investing into it long term and they're thinking about it in terms of this like, yeah, I want to optimize for near term ROI, but I'm also looking at the correlation that this drives across all my other uh, spending channels.
0: I think this was a very, very enriching and interesting conversation on influencer marketing tactics. And it's something that uh, that's probably not what everyone looks into, as we mentioned earlier, but it's going to give them it's going to give them something, something to think about down the next couple of months, because now is the time to get a little more creative and build those relationships while you're not really selling directly and getting in the face of a customer. So we really appreciate the time you spent here. And before we wrap up though, do you have any additional revenue generation hacks or influencer hacks to share with us?
1: A couple things. If you think influencer marketing feels fake, you're right, it does feel fake. And that's because the original traditional approach to influencer marketing is this really big like marketplace transactional approach. And in those models, the incentive- is not if there's any brand alignment or product belief, it's just to find someone who they can charge you money for. So if you wanna run influencer marketing, you need to do it in-house. If you do work with an agency, you need to compensate the agency, not based on transaction fees, but on like long-term management. And you need to focus on building authentic, long-term relationships that lead to honest endorsement. And so I would optimize around authentic, an honest endorsement of your products. And then the other thing is I would urge people to think about influencer marketing not just as like instagrammers or youtubers or bloggers. Like what is an influencer? Is your favorite athlete that is a basketball player or a snowboarder or an outdoor enthusiast that also has an instagram. Are they an athlete or are they an influencer? The the journalist that you follow at the New York Times or at, you know, X company, is that a journalist or is that an influencer? Is that PR or is that influencer marketing? Well, if it's editorial, it's PR, but if they post on their Twitter, is it influencer marketing? So I think there's like a lot of confusion around what an influencer is and I wouldn't get hung up on that. I would just say that, Hey, look, there's all these disciplines in marketing that are about trust And the way that you deliver trust to the prospect or customer is by having a relationship with the person delivering your message. And they have to believe in your message. Uh, And you can call that influencer marketing, athlete marketing, ambassador marketing, whatever you want. But that's an approach that's worth exploring inside of your company and learning best practices around how to do it. And don't be turned off by the word influence marketing. You know, depending what you think, influencers are are really everything and it just has a new name. It's not really a growth hack, but more of just kind of my my viewpoint and and philosophy that I think is important to share.
0: Absolutely. I think this was this was a great conversation. We'll definitely have you back again, too, for part two in influencer marketing. And we'll dive deeper into a couple of things that we discussed here. But in the meantime, take care and stay safe and keep your team safe as well from this uh, ongoing pandemic that we don't know is going to have an end anytime soon.
1: You got it. Thanks for having me and appreciate it.